You're listening to the Revenge of the Birds podcast, part of the SB Nation podcast network. Hosted by Blake Murphy 7 and Johnny Venerable. All about your Arizona Cardinals. Hello, welcome into the Revenge of the Birds podcast. This is Blake Murphy on Twitter at BlakeMurphy7. We are your complete cards coverage, part of the SB Nation podcast network. And I'm joined here by Walter Mitchell, our staff writer. He'll be subbing in for John this week. You can find him on Twitter at WBJMitch. Walter, it's good to have you back on the podcast. The Arizona Cardinals draft is done. The offseason and OTAs are underway. Uh, we're now looking at this team, seeing if they can turn into a contender with the likes of adding a lot of veteran talent in the offseason and some new talent in the draft. Uh, before we get into talking about uh, the Arizona Cardinals, uh, how have you been doing and any other general thoughts you've had so far on just the year and the offseason that it's been uh, for a lot of Arizona sports fans kind of coming out of the strangest year in sports that we can think of? Right. Yeah, Blake, thank you for inviting me back on. And uh, hello, Bird Gangers. Good to be joining you today. I'm here in sunny Massachusetts and basking in the sun and in the post-mandatory minicamp glow that uh, I'm feeling about the Cardinals. I'm just really, really um, upbeat about what the Cardinals have done this offseason. Um, I think this is going to be the most aggressive, physically imposing team the Cardinals have had in quite some time. and. That gives me hope because uh, we've ten- tended to struggle against the physical teams like the Rams, the Panthers, uh, the 49ers. And now I think we can match up with them better and take them on at the point of attack better. And that, and seeing as we close the gap on the 49ers some, now we need to do that on the with the Rams, obviously and continue to try to make strides against the Seahawks within our own division. So, uh, but yes, we're stronger up front and um, we're getting faster at the skill positions and a little more athletic. And then with the Titans coming up as game one, I find it fascinating that we're matching their Titans with our Titans. And we now have a basic NBA all-star team up front guys six six four and, and over to match up against Derrick Henry and Julio Jones and AJ Brown. So yeah, very excited, Blake, and um I think that it bodes well for the Cardinals not only this year but moving forward that they've changed their own MO in the front office. Yeah, the offseason, especially like you talked about with adding Titans and being more physical up front, that all starts with the defensive line and linebacker position, obviously. And that was the area that the Cardinals chose to invest, um, signing J.J. Watt to a essentially two-year deal, bringing in a guy that I don't think that they've had as far as the time record goes since Calais Campbell, who is more of a disruptor on the interior. They've had guys on the edge uh, he's a guy, at least, who I think at least could line up and scream off the edge, but it seems to make a lot of sense for him to be that guy who flexes in next to Chandler Jones on third down. He brings an incredibly physical presence and 
a huge presence in the locker room. We can talk about the linebackers since that was the other place that Arizona invested in a bit. But first, I want to hear your thoughts at least about the Watts signing. When it first happened, I was at least a little skeptical given the age, the time frame, given some of the injury history wondering if it was going to be one of these other premier signings like the Terrell Suggs or other aspects. And what it seemed like so far, Walter, is that the underestimation of what Watt would bring leadership-wise to the Arizona Cardinals of having that proven guy seems to be having, at least on paper, a much bigger impact so far than any other move this offseason. Would you talk a little bit about what you're seeing from the Cardinals with J.J. Watt signing and how important he is to this Arizona Cardinals locker room and to the team? Yeah, the first priority for Steve Kime and Michael Bidwell this offseason was to redefine the veteran leadership on the team. Uh, the, the younger leadership was good last year. The veteran leadership, not so much. Um, and so if you're going to redefine leadership on an NFL team, who better than to acquire J.J. Watt? I mean, not only is the leader in the clubhouse, the, the recent quote from Cliff Kingsbury was wherever he is is in the building is gets far more intense um, and electric uh, and you know Watt's outreach on the community he'd already been a contributor to um, the Pat Tillman Foundation and he's just slid right in and been a natural fit and and uh, he's he's a leader of men he's an alpha male a leader of men who backs it up with 100% effort on the field. So uh, we're going to get leadership on the field and off the field. So, uh, yeah, I'm just very excited. His versatility, too, Blake, is very attractive. I mean, we haven't had a dominant uh, 34 defensive end since Calais left, as you mentioned, and that's exciting. He can keep those young linebackers clean by getting double teamed and triple teamed. And then, um, then he can kick outside in passing situations if need be, or he's great on run, running tech stunts. He and Chandler Jones or, or Dennis Gardeck or, or uh, Marcus Golden in the kind of loop and tech stunts they can run and get after the quarterback. I think clearly this is going to be probably if, if if the guys are locked in and and uh, and teeing off, probably the best pass rushing unit we've had ever. Yeah, that would be something you can look back to the 2016 season with Calais. You had Alex Okafor, I believe, had um, he actually got paid coming off of that season. I think elsewhere, if I remember correctly, and I think it was Marcus Golden had double digit sacks, and it was Jones, Campbell, and Golden were the ones, I believe, who had that advantage. That is something that I think is still a bit of a surprise to Cardinals fans to think about how that was five years ago under the Bruce Arians era and how much has changed since then. But it's still been the presence of Chandler Jones and Marcus Golden, uh, all said and done. Golden obviously moving away and back. (laughs) But the Cardinals have been essentially a team built around some of these core players and core leaders. And like you said, the young core last season played well. Some of the older veteran players, I think at least back to some games like 
looking at the Panthers game or even at the end of the season, um, the Rams and Niners game, it just felt like there was someone who needed to step up and make a play on defense. And there was just not one of those plays that seemed to be available for the team. Cardinals are hoping that they'll be able to see a difference this year, and they're also hoping for Chandler Jones to return to form. Let's talk a bit about with Chandler because he's at a interesting situation at age 32. Uh, clearly, he's not wanting to participate in camp uh, with his contract status. Uh, right now, it's the last year of his deal. He's looking for and hoping for an extension. I mentioned to John that the best time to pay Chan might have been coming off of that 2019 season, add an extra two years to the end of his deal, push guaranteed money forward. Cardinals entering into 2020, maybe things are different if there isn't a pandemic as far as that situation is. Maybe things are different due to just the age that Chandler has and Steve Kime making mistakes paying injured players. Um, You think of how Tyron Matthew wasn't necessarily a mistake, but paying him and taking him two years to recover was difficult for Arizona. And the same with how David Johnson coming off of injury when he received that mega deal makes me wonder if Steve Kime has lumped Chandler in with the other ones. Do you think that this is a spot where fans should be more, you know, on Chandler Jones' side? Is this a spot where the team is doing what the team is best for and it may not include Chandler after this year. Uh, What are some of your thoughts, at least, on Jones? Because by all accounts, he's been essentially um, the leader on the team, both in production, making Pro Bowls, and being able to be this um, phenomenal sack leader on the team alongside uh, the play of Buda Baker. And he's also been one of those guys who off-field is the team seems to have followed where Chandler has gone. Now it seems like he's willing to you know, let J.J. be able to come in and be some of that guy as well um, with being able to have that pairing. What are your thoughts, at least on Chan, when it comes to his future with the Cardinals, at least? What are your thoughts and what might be some of your concerns? I think Chandler's future with the Cardinals is in doubt because um, he did not play well in the five games he played in last year. There was a noticeable drop-off. It was almost looking like Terrell Suggs all over again at that same spot in the bandit position where you need someone storming off that edge. And we didn't get anyone storming off that edge until Dennis Gardeck arrived on the scene. And then um, Reddick started doing it from the other side. Um, uh, you know, that could have been just a strange anomaly or whatever, but when players get of that age, it, it's always a concern it, it is, has he lost a step? Is you know, it, is it age catching up to him? I mean, one wouldn't think so with Chandler because he's usually in tip-top shape, but he didn't look like it last year. Um, he wasn't his normal, sudden, whirly bird self on that edge. So the Cardinals, I hope they don't cave in. Um, I think they need to see what Chandler brings back to the table this year and then react accordingly from there because uh, they don't want to make the the David Johnson mistake of a player holding out a minicamp in a year where they don't have to re-sign him yet and then they do and then it becomes pretty clear that that was a mistake um, and with the Matthew deal so players coming off of injuries getting signed to handsome deals lucrative deals have not worked well 
in the past for the Cardinals. And I mean, Chandler's lived up to every penny of his contract up until this, this last year. And so, like you said, I mean, there's, there are good reasons to believe he'll bounce back, be more motivated than ever. But the, the issue for Chandler now is he really can't afford to miss training camp because I mean, he, he missed the last 11 games last year. Um, it could be a Pat Peterson back from suspension scenario all over again. I mean, you know, to be a pro football player, you've, you've got, you got to harden your body up. The day-to-day grind of training camp helps you do that. You can't assimilate that at home, just working out. So, um, as well as you can. Plus, you need to be with the team and be a leader. Like you said, Chandler's been a really good le- leader for the Cardinals and a spiritual leader and a rally leader. Brings great energy. That all has to come back with him this year, and I think it, there's a decent chance that it will. But if he sits out all at training camp so that he can just show up week one to get his 15.5 million guaranteed on the you know, when he plays in week one, I not only could that set him and the, and the Cardinals back, but if he wants to cash in on another three-year deal with someone, either in Arizona or somewhere else, I mean, if he starts off slow again, and doesn't have a good year. He's, he's probably looking at a one-year deal somewhere next year in a prove it situation. Right. Totally agree. That's some of the, issues with Chandler that you talked about was when he came out, it was that he was in a defense now where he moved to the other side, the pass rushing side in which he got four sacks in a game against Seattle and even played against bad or backup offensive tackles to start the year. Uh, Talked to at least a couple of um, people nationally with some either insiders or just people who'd been watching the NFL. They said that he just did not look right to start the year. So perhaps there were, Injuries we weren't knowing of, or perhaps there was at some point, the age cliff that some guys can just fall off as far as their um, overall production. And that is something that will be interesting because, you know, as we know with Michael, he loves to take care of his star players, but it's also a business decision that when a certain star player like Larry Fitzgerald, we got to see his stats finally kind of dropped enough. We've not heard any news about him coming back to the team, and that's essentially not even needed with DeAndre Hopkins installed now as the number one wide receiver. So you're talking about a situation in where if Chandler produces, perhaps the Cardinals would be more optimal to say, hey, he's 32, we have a chance for a title run. It's hard to say, like you said, of them looking at a franchise tag because that usually makes players just be, especially with Chandler's pedigree and age, I don't see that he would like that option. I think he would prefer to then say, all right, if you're going to tag me, I will just stay and hold out, similar to um, several other situations we've seen where players get tagged and then traded. It's really tough to see if this is going to be a spot where the best case, I think, for Arizona is Chandler comes out strong with the likes of Watt. He ends up performing and producing. You're able to add in a three-year extension that pays him highly, that gives the Cardinals the ability to you know, opt out after two years gives Chandler the ability to hit the market after two years. And then you're able to have that be one of those Carson Palmer type mid-season signings in which he's able to come into camp, play well, 
be able to get rewarded. And then that way he also has, you know, injury guarantees that are provided much more up front in case there is some sort of injury that would take place um, for the player. It's going to be an interesting, like I say, the game of chicken that teams will play in this back and forth. Um, I think that it was complicated, like you said, by the fact that he was injured and it just looked like he was not the same Chandler Jones. And if that Chandler Jones does come out again, it's it's the same situation, like you said, with Pat P. It'd be a one-year deal with the team, probably $10 million under franchise tag money, having to prove it at that age. And ultimately, football is a young man's sport. And it's going to be an interesting couple of years for the Arizona Cardinals since if this is the only year that we see Chandler Jones paired with J.J. Watt, it will feel very similar to that 2016 year in which the Cardinals had Chandler Jones and Calais Campbell finish number one in number of sacks in the NFL, and then essentially it was all broken up the following year. Yeah, the, the tantalizing thing, too, is that they really didn't miss them. <laughs> after he was out, um, the pass rush was prolific. Uh, who would have known that Dennis Gardeck is a monster off that edge? Um, quick, he's a Tasmanian devil. Um, quick, quickest edge rush I've seen in a Cardinal uniform in, in, uh, in, in a while. Um, and Reddick was no slouch either from the other side. Uh, and I think that looking down the road, Gardick's your bandit moving forward. I mean, I don't see why he wouldn't be. I mean, he doesn't have the ideal length and size that that uh, the Cardinals have tif- typically coveted at that bandit spot. But, I mean, Vance Joseph had Van- Von Miller um, at in uh, Denver. Miller's not, you know, lengthy. He's fast and speedy off that edge. The other thing is, is that what Gardick gives you at Bandit is the athleticism to play contain and drop off into coverage if needed in ways that Chandler's was has never really been suited to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and Gardick is a is a fundamentally better tackler than Chandler, um, basically because he's a little smaller and you know, closer to the ground, which aids and abets tackling, breaking down and, you know, getting, getting under people's pads. Um, so, you know, that element says, and it looks to me like Vance Joseph is very, is highly adaptive when adjusting to his personnel and pass rush um, schemes. So that's very encouraging. You know, at the other, on, on the, at the other um, end of the end of the scale is that, like you said, they brought Marcus Golden back on a two-year deal. That was really exciting. Golden had only four sacks, but he had 41 pressures. And he did a really splendid job when he was in there. Um, so, you know, having him back for two years, maybe gets a Victor Demukaje, uh ready to fill in for Golden and to contribute along the way, but to fill in to be junk junior when, when the junk moves on. Um, so that's an exciting development is to have a Victor in as a six round pick. And I, I've always liked Kylie Fitz. I think if, if, if he gets, uh, if he's a little quicker this year, 
which he was in training camp, but then he got dinged up a little bit and uh, it slowed him down a little. But when I watched him in training camp last year, he was coming off that edge really well. And I, I think he's a sleeper for us um, and someone, and he also is good on, on teams. So uh, I, I like his chances of contributing as well. And then Kevin Kennard, which was a surprise keep move by the Cardinals. Um, you know, I didn't see that coming, but Kennard never really got on track last year. Uh, he played pretty well when he was in there. I mean, mm-hmm. he was very physical against the run which we, we need. And he could play that Sam spot and hold down that edge really well. So, uh, yeah, he, and, and plus he was a seven sack a year guy, um, on, you know, when he was in Detroit. So he does have some upside as a pass rusher. So we have depth quality. And then of course the, the obvious thing that people might be overlooking is you have JJ Watt who nobody wants to block off the edge. Right. <laughs> so, I mean, you have to double team him, right? You have to. No one's going to leave J.J. Watt one-on-one, maybe with Whitworth on the Rams. And Whitworth will tell you right now, it's not something he's going to be looking forward to. But we also have Watt available to to play off, to, ru- to you know, rush off the edge in sub-packages. Uh, so, there are a lot of Cardinals have some answers there already. And if Chandler Jones were smart, if he's really looking at the next two or three years down the line, getting into camp on it, coming to some sort of an agreement on a money figure for guaranteed money, that was going to be an assurance for him in case he gets injured again, whereas he gives back a little bit of the 15, five, uh, that he's due, you know, he's already making, he's already been paid 5 million more on, on the signing bonus. So his cap hits over 20. So even if he gives back four or five, he's still making this, this year of over 15 mil, um, which is what JJ is making. So, um, although it's deferred money, it's going to be paid mostly down, down the road. But if he could come to an agreement like that, so he can get in camp, be named a captain again, and be with the team, and really, uh, you know, getting it on. Uh, I think his that increases his chance of having a a bounce back season and being able to land the next contract. And definitely, I like how you brought up Victor Dimukeji as the Marcus Golden comparison. Just being able to add guys to add depth is something that we've seen with the Cardinals has been an issue and a challenge at times. The pass rush that we saw when Terrell Suggs was on the team and being able to rotate in, they just didn't have a lot of depth where you were trusting Chandler to have to essentially make a sack to force a fumble. And that was the only way the Cardinals were, you know, getting plays in 2018 and 2019, essentially. So it's good to see that the team is coming a long way in terms of being able to add players to that pass rush. And sticking with the defensive line, you've got, I think, a very big year for three players. You have Jordan Phillips, who's up front in the middle, will probably be taking on a much bigger role with Corey Peters um, 
outside of the team right now. Uh, he's rehabbing, trying to come back from what looks like a torn ACL, but with a 300-pound guy, when they have those type of injuries, it just gets hard to get back to by the start of the season. You're also talking about the two rookie players that are going to be with Lecky Foe 2 is much more of your 0 or 1 tech up in the front, and then Richard Lawrence, the guy who... Coming into camp, Corey Peters is raving about his ability to play multiple positions on the D-line front. Uh, he's going to probably be, in some cases, maybe even rushing on the inside if Watt's going to be outside or even maybe taking on some of J.J.'s interior reps depending on keeping J.J. fresh if that turns out to be the case. Uh, the team did sign recently Xavier Williams. He returns to the Cardinals. He's a guy that has a great bull rush, can kind of get up the field, but not necessarily a sack guy, just your typical nose tackle who can come in and make plays. Um, you don't necessarily, I think, want him as your full-time starter, but you can do so much worse than Xavier Williams as far as the nose is concerned. Uh, what are some of your thoughts, at least, on the players this year? Because I am looking directly at Richard Lawrence, and um, directly at Jordan Phillips this year, because right now, like we've said, like you said, even having Chandler Jones, having J.J. Watt, even then having the likes of Marcus Golden on the other side, you should be expecting to get a heavy amount of one-on-one -on -one interior matchups with whoever is rushing the quarterback from the inside, and that's going to put a lot of pressure on the likes of Phillips and Lawrence to be able to succeed in getting some of that disruption either in the run game up front or being able to get in the quarterback's face, force them to you know, scramble out of the pocket and break up plays. Um, what are some of your thoughts about who needs to step up the most on the interior defensive line for the cards? Well, if, if I were coaching that unit, what I, would, what I would want as starters in the 34 base is Zach Allen opposite J.J. Watt. Zach Allen's like J.J. Jr., only not as ripped yet, but he plays in a similar style and is, has a similar football IQ and playmaking ability that we saw late in last season when he got fully healthy and was, you know, had that 11-tackle game against the Eagles in helping the Cardinals win that game. It's the last game they won, I think. Um, and he was, he was great in that game, um, knocking down passes and sack, getting sacks. And, uh, he's got a motor and we saw that and he's a penetrator, which we need, um, particularly if he's getting single teamed on the side opposite Watt. And then I'd split the reps at nose between Richard Lawrence and Lecky Fotu, uh, and have Fotu spell. Phil too can kick out. So can Lawrence. You you said it well. They they're both versatile. They both can kick out. Get in a rotation where they can spell uh, Allen and Watt occasionally in the base. But then I would save Phillips for the nickel, and I think it, stamina wise it will help him. Um, and boy, if he can come up big like he did in Buffalo two years ago with ten sacks rushing from the interior with, uh, you know, he could be paired up at times with, with Zach Allen or um, also Lecky Foto, I thought later in the season was starting to get some, some pressure up the middle. Uh, we also can use Michael Dogby in, in there who looks bigger 
this year. If you've watched, if you saw him at, at the May camp, um, he looks poised and ready to make a breakout. Uh, there's good depth there. And uh, Xavier Williams, as you said, gives us added depth inside uh, at nose. And then Corey Peters at some point will probably be back. Uh, I, he says he wants to, and he's working at it and rehab and it's not there yet, but I think that it's, that there's a good possibility that so somewhere along the line this season, we may see Corey Peters again. That could be a big boost, but yeah, it's really solid up front. And uh, the other thing is when Vance Joseph dials up his pressures, he likes putting, there's going to be times where he, he throws junk or Gardick at that like Okafor inside rush position that uh, the Cardinals have been, been employing for the last couple of years. I mean, Gardeck did it great against the, 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 um, the giants when, uh, when they, 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 they slid him down in there and he was wreaking havoc up that middle blowing past some of those guards. Uh, so it, it, you know, what I like is that, Joseph has a keen idea as how to generate pressure from a variety of different looks. Uh, that's one of his real strengths. And I think we have the personnel, we have the depth of personnel for him to get creative. And uh, I like the guys up front. Um, I was tempted to feel like the Cardinals maybe should, should go after Sheldon Richardson, but he just re-signed. Uh, Geno Atkins is still out there. That might be a you know, if the price is right on him, it might be, be worth it to, to uh, kick the tires on him. Cause when he's right, boy, he's, he's special. So uh, maybe they do add one more piece there, but even if they don't, I think we're deep enough. Yeah, definitely. The, when you're talking about Vance being able to bring pressure from a variety of angles, that was probably the biggest overall improvement that we saw from the Arizona Cardinals uh, over last year, we got to see their offense take on uh, a slightly different dimension as far as Kyler Murray and the run game. Uh, we got to see the Cardinals be, at one point, the best rushing offense in the league. He averaged, I think it was a little under 60 yards a game. The Cardinals were getting a lot of production when they did have these design runs added in. But on the defensive side, you're right in that Vance being able to manufacture pressure and get it without Chandler Jones being on the field was something that we hadn't seen in 2019. It was a, a big plus, especially with how it came up clutch in the Seattle Seahawks game. So, uh, Walter, let's go and talk a bit about with sticking on the defensive side. The inside linebacker position is going to be a huge one for the Cardinals this year. They'll be starting two players who are both young. The Cardinals are looking clearly for their Navarro Bowman and Patrick Willis, it seems like, in Isaiah Simmons and their new first-round draft pick, Zaven Collins. Is this a smart move to anoint Zaven the unquestioned starter? Because I've seen a lot of people who have been questioning more about that and trusting a rookie. And when we first had um, Tony Pauline, the NFL Draft Insider, on our podcast, and he said, yeah, I think they're really looking heavy at Zaven Collins. The answer, the reply was, well, if, if that's going to be at the Mike linebacker position, that makes a lot of sense because I watched Jordan Hicks play last year and it looked like he was just about done as far as with not just coverage, which had been lacking, but the ability to make tackles was essentially his best feature in the defense. And he just was looked so slow and so 
lack of uh, the lack of physicality just seemed to shine through, especially in that end of the season game against the Niners, where they rushed for 180 or so yards with their third string running back. The lack of physicality that you were getting from Hicks uh, just seemed like the injuries that he's been sustaining with his age have been too much for him. So I had zero issues with the Cardinals diagnosing the weakest spot on their defense. And realizing it maybe wasn't corner like everyone had thought, but that it was upgrading their physicality at the inside linebacker position and finding a new mic next to Isaiah Simmons. Yeah, this is one of the more exciting developments of of the offseason, in my opinion. And I love that the Cardinals' new MO is there ain't no red shirts this year. Um, Love that. I I think if it had been a normal offseason last year, Isaiah Simmons would have brought been brought along faster. I don't think Isaiah Simmons is ever going to be a Mike, but he's certainly a will, um, and he can play a variety of other positions, which is why I also think that Tanner Baeo, who was promised to be used a little bit more in the def- in the defense this year, is why they re-signed him to a two-year deal with some pretty good money, um, is going to be able to come in and pair up at either spot with with Collins or Simmons so that Joseph can take Collins or Simmons and put him somewhere else like a queen on the chessboard. I mean, you've got two versatile players who can jump inside, outside, and in Simmons' case, he can play all over the secondary if you want him to. Um, It's just such a, 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 you know, an infusion of athletic talent in the middle of that defense uh, that it's so exciting, and it's exciting that they're committing to it already. Um, Bill Davis, Billy Davis said, and I think, you know, Vance Joseph has reiterated, you know, Zayvon Collins is going to make some mistakes. I mean, he's going to be a rookie in the league, but he's going to make more splash plays than he will mistakes. And I really believe that because if you watch his tape at Tulsa, I mean, the guy has tremendous, he, he reads, he diagnoses very fast. And once he sees the right, you know, once he gets his cue on the guard and sees that it, sees his hole he plugs it now and this was Hicks's problem uh last year with the Cardinals is that Hicks got caught in cement too often in the NFL if you don't hit it now like against the 49ers and their fast running backs they're gone you have to hit that hole before they can get started and if you don't you're 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 in trouble and the rest of the team's in trouble so having a guy with those kind of read and react instincts is great. And I think it's also wise of, of Vance Joseph to, he's going to try to keep things as simple as possible for the both Simmons and Collins so that they can run around and be athletes and make plays and, and not have to think too much. So pretty simple keys. And plus they're both plus defenders in, in, in pass coverage. When have we ever seen that in recent years? I mean, and they're three down linebackers you never want to take off the field. I mean, Collins put on a clinic in coverage last year. I mean, he won a game on a pick six, like 96-yard pick six or 100 yards or whatever it was. I mean, he has just a nose for the football. And you know, he's he's a, he's a, a born leader. You can tell from the way he conducts himself and, I think he steps into that leadership role in a nifty fashion. Oh, it's just so exciting to to think of what we're going to look like in there. And then, you know, behind them, there's, there's a little bit of depth too. And, and that, uh, 
Zeke Turner, whenever he's been used at will, uh, he's played well. You know, I wouldn't, he's like one of the best tacklers on the team and he's a, he's a tough, tough physical player who's got some wheels. I mean, he could be an asset in there. Evan Weaver, I think could, could be a dog on special teams and be a backup uh, on a, as a run stuffer, particularly in the goal line. He's got those instincts. He's got a forward gear that, that doesn't quit. Um, and Terrence Smith is a will. And, and I like Terrence Smith. He's a good athlete. He, on the few occasions he played last year, I thought he looked excellent. So, and Smith can also play off the edge a little bit. So there's depth there. I, I think that it's time for Jordan Hicks to find a new home and to re- sort of reinvent himself. Uh, probably is more of a two down linebacker than a three down linebacker, but who knows? Maybe he gets in a little better shape. Maybe he's doing, you know, uh, he's getting his feet a little quicker this year for wherever he goes. But I think it's just a matter of time. I don't think it makes any sense for the Cardinals to hang on to him being as, you know, the way they handled the situation thus far. I mean, I I wrote an article called spare Jordan. I mean, (laughs) I mean, the guy's basically been left, left out to dry. I mean, come on, let him have his dignity. And I mean, he's not a bad football player, Hicks. We know that his first year, he was better than last year. Um, And he's, he can bring some qualities. But I don't think he's a three-down linebacker in the NFL. If he finds a niche as a um, situational linebacker, I think he'll do just fine. Yeah, I agree. Some people have even brought up the fact that because Hicks already took a pay cut uh, to be able to return to the team, it seems like you could be able to find him in just a backup role. And that would be, I think, optimal for the Cardinals would be, you know, you're not seeing that his trade value is likely to you know, fetch maybe even anything right now. He's already taken on that pay cut. You're not likely going to actually cut the player for the most part, um, given all of that. You, if you do, it'll be much more of like that J.J. Watt type of, hey, all right, we're going to do right by you. Go and find another team to sign with type of deal for Hicks. I still wonder, at least, like you said, if he's not just in the best spot for him in Arizona where he gets to you know, have a chance to compete with Taylor uh, Tanner Vallejo. And I think you've been right on also, Walter. You've been, you know, preaching about how Vallejo's needed more snaps when we finally got to see him play against the Seahawks with uh, the lack of depth the Cardinals had. He performed and performed admirably. And I think that that's what you said with giving Arizona a bit of comfort level to be able to recognize, hey, this is a guy who if Isaiah Simmons loses time or a guy who could be next to him in case, you know, the – Things went a little bit awry with their plan in acquiring Zayvon Collins. Uh, I want to talk a bit about Simmons because um, you mentioned at least the linebackers coach, Bill Davis, talking a bit about the uh, play of Zayvon Collins. He was one of those, when you talk about rare players in terms of being able to have not just height, weight, speed, film, but also being able to talk about former uh, high school valedictorian from a small, small school, at least small area, at least that he played in high school and then going to Tulsa. And essentially, as many people said, like noticeably in all of their big games, not only was he making plays, he did look like the best player on the field, no matter if it was power five or small school uh, that they played. With Simmons, on the other hand, this is the opposite sort of situation. This is the guy who went to Clemson, has been able to be part of championship teams, made huge plays for them. And instead of being kind of just seen as more of the one Mike backer with some flexibility to move and rush off of the edge, he was actually, we found out from Bill Davis, 
taught how to play six different positions. He lined up at both the Mike and the Mo, was taught how to be able to cover in the slot, play two of the safety positions. And then one or two times he did rush off the edge. Now, I don't see him as a natural edge rusher. Uh, he, when you look, look at him play, is better off in the blitzing standpoint, up the middle is what it seemed like. There's just been a lack of... And I compare this kind of to when you look at Tyron Matthew and Buda Baker, there are guys who, because of their size, they can dip around these larger tackles and tight ends to get at the quarterback. And they just have this insane burst and change of direction, quick feet that is acquired in the secondary player. Simmons has been a lot more of this type of straight line athlete who I see that is not necessarily one of those guys who you want to have lining up on the edge all the time. It's like how you and I had talked previously in this offseason, seeing Hassan Reddick have some of that flexibility to rush off the edge and having the athleticism to cover, I think a lot of that now is going to fall to the likes of Devon Kennard, but it wouldn't shock me, at least for the most part, if they do end up letting um, that be some of Zayvon Collins' role and allow um, Isaiah Simmons to be able to kind of be one of those guys who can still roam and range around, and then all of a sudden you've got Tanner Vallejo subs in for this sort of three-linebacker package that allows Zayvon Collins' phenomenal coverage ability to be able to you know, match up on rushing a quarterback or line up on a tight end. I do think at least that we're going to see something very different out of the Arizona Cardinals if Isaiah Simmons can be able to make plays like he did when you're talking about the Seattle game and even down the stretch late in the year. What do you think that Simmons in the middle of the defense is going to have as far as an impact that we did not see from the Arizona Cardinals defense uh, last year? Well, what's awesome is so Simmons was the 2019 Buckus Award winner and a consensus first team All-American, right? And and really would have been in the conversation for for best defensive player of the year, which Collins won is the Nagurski award. Um, so we got a major award winner side by side. It's just, I got to pinch myself. We got the Nagurski playing the mic and the Buckus playing the, playing the, the will, uh, boy, it's just really exciting. I mean, they, they have the athleticism to, to do, you know, to be just, you know, uh, Collins just said to Simmons, he runs like a deer. Perfect analogy. He does. He runs like a deer. I mean, he just, he's just got that not only great speed, but, but graceful, um, you know, uh, trot to him. I mean, more than trot, like sprint. I mean, he gets there fast and he finishes in a flurry. Um, and, and what's exciting about him is think of the matchups. You can put him on tight ends. You can put him on even running backs. Um, you can put him on bigger wide receivers. I mean, let's not forget he's got four three eight speed. Um, guys, just one of the most versatile chess pieces you could ever ask for. And I think Vance Joseph is smart and move, you know, like Clemson did, move him around based on the week-to-week matchups that you have so that you can take advantage. I mean, you could put, I know, you know, this doesn't, it's not crazy. You could put Isaiah Simmons on Julio Jones. You could. Similar size. Uh, and, and right now, Simmons is faster than Jones. I mean, Jones has lost a step, clearly, if you watch his tape. I mean, 
you know, and, and Simmons has decent technique. He can shadow. He, he can, you know, he's got, he's got an ability to, to be that versatile. So what, what Vance Joseph must be just so delirious about is that he's got these, it's like having two Queens on the chessboard at the same time in Simmons and Collins. They, they can provide, they can move every which way, laterally, forward, backwards, diagonally, they got every gear in there to um, for the Cardinals to take advantage of. And I, I, I think that, you know, letting them um, play fast, like, like Vance has said that he wants them to do, is, is the right thing to do. Sure, sure. I agree with that. It'll be interesting to see if the impact of Collins, how long it takes for him to be able to you know, not just plug into the defense and do his job, but to then start turning into that sort of playmaker. Some guys, you get it very early. Sometimes it takes about eight games, and it'll be interesting if the Cardinals will finally see the fruits of that labor in 2022 since a lot of rookies start, you know, it's like being tossed into a lake and being told to swim. Um, some guys are going to be better at than others. They clearly are trusting Zayvon Collins to have a big part on that defense. Another player, at least while we wrap up on the defensive side, that they're trusting heavily. Um, just some news this week, Buda Baker, apparently on his Instagram, did test positive for COVID. I mean, I've heard at least through some people that uh, he has been one of the players who was vaccinated, so it's not expected that it will have issues as far as with the rest of the Cardinals for spread. The offseason things are obviously different. Um, there's not going to be really that much that should affect as far as play. Just a bit of the you know breaking news that was out there with the rest of the Arizona sports craze that's been going on right now. Uh, but the Cardinals are going to be essentially looking at a veteran and Malcolm Butler, who I think at least will add a f- tenacity to the team that, uh, as far as the, the aspect of wanting it, that we haven't seen, I think, from Patrick Peterson in a lead corner. Uh, they're trusting Byron Murphy heavily this year, considering the backups behind him are, you've got Robert Alford, who's right now, I think, the camp leader, knowing Vance Joseph's defense for the last few years, and you have, um, as well as Darquez Denard as a veteran. After that, it's going to be some of the different rookie corners. Um, let's talk a bit about Marco Wilson and Tay Gowan, because to me, when I broke and analyzed some of this stuff earlier with Johnny, I always felt like Marco Wilson was one of those players who, if he ever got it or kind of clicked in his head, he would be a nasty player because he could line up inside and out. He could play anywhere from the slot to the boundary. He could even drop back and even play safety with his uh, ability and foot speed. He had injuries in college, and the way that his play worked, it just seemed like he would always be you know, behind a step. Like He would be in position to make the tackle, but just would be recognition-wise a step behind in terms of being able to make a play on the ball. On the other hand, Tay Gowan looked all of the part of an outside corner with the lengthy arms and legs, and athletically, it seemed like his... His ability on tape, when you say, all right, I expect he would run in this range, expect he'd jump this high, it seemed like his film matched what his workout production was. It didn't feel exactly the same for Marco Wilson, but given the versatility and questions, I totally understand why the Cardinals would make a trade-up for the guy who theoretically could plug in on either of the different sides versus trying to go and grab a cornerback who maybe you could only put them into the slot or into the boundary corner position. Uh, what are some of your thoughts on the secondary for the Arizona Cardinals this year? And do you think that they should still be trying to make a play for the likes of a Stephon Gilmore or sign another veteran corner who may be left on the market? Yeah, I've been thinking about that a lot. I think 
many of us have been thinking, you know, should, should they make a play for Gilmore? Uh, you know, Gilmore's situation is much like Chandler Jones's in New England. Bill Belichick, I've heard his interviews. He doesn't even want to mention him by name um, if he can help it. He's not happy with the situation. But that's what you get at the final year of a contract. It's that year you're supposed to, you know, either renew and extend and and get the player agreed to, you know, two or three years down the down the line. But Gilmore, like Jones, had an off year last year. Uh, he he had some tough games. Um, just didn't look himself. Uh, you know, for the kind of money he commands, I don't know. I I don't know if I'd go there. Um, and uh, I like the 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 Wilson Gowan combination I with Byron move, Murphy moving forward I think we got three premier players uh, and what Wilson needs is discipline and in time and in reps he he'll get that uh, he brings everything physically you'd want plus he's a pretty pretty dang good tackler I like I like his tackling of his technique. Um, he's not afraid to stick his nose in there. He misses some occasionally because, you know, he's a little aggressive, too aggressive. That's what I mean about discipline. Sometimes he's better off if he breaks down. Um, <laughs> and, uh, but, and Gallon is a consummate press corner um, with size. They're like perfect compliments in, in my mind. Um, I still can't believe that Gallon made it all the way to the, to where the Cardinals picked him with their second pick in the sixth round. I'm, I'm still kind of shocked that the Cardinals took Victor uh, Demukajay there at, at the first of the two six six round picks with Gowan still on the board because the only knock on Gowan Gowan was that he's only played one year at Central Florida, but the one year it takes. You're looking at a second or third round pick off that tape. I don't think there's any question about it. And plus, what we've seen as Cardinal fans is this kid is this kid is just so fired up. He wants to sleep at the facility. You know, he he is he's on fire in his excitement for being here. You want guys like that. Both those guys, Wilson and Gallon, should should contribute immediately on special teams. And I don't think you can run the risk of waiving either one of them. I, I wouldn't. I, I for right now, I I would make those two guys. You can't touch them as lock picks for the fifty-three man roster, and then move accordingly. I think it probably comes down. And I like Murphy. Vince Joseph has, has been been saying about Murphy that the time is now. He's ready to shine, emerge as a star. And I I I agree with it. And also for the first time, we're hearing uh, Vance Joseph talk about Murphy's versatility of playing inside and outside. Yeah. Thank God. All right. So because the ta- <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> I know because the tape on him at Washington outside was just at times like a clinic. Uh, but they played more elaborate combination schemes, which I think the Cardinals are going to do this year more of is play man on one side and zone on the other. Um you know that's kind of in vogue these days. To, you you zone trips to one side and play man on single to the other. 
with uh, a man ready to play the running back coming to that side. Um, and then you zone, zone off the trip side. So, uh, and the Cardinals have the athletes to do it now. Uh, but I think if a healthy Robert Alford is going to make a huge impact in the slot or at boundary as well, he's got that versatility. I watched his, uh, his play in the Super Bowl against Bella, against um, Julian Edelman. And, oh, my God, I, I was expecting to be somewhat impressed. I came away feeling awed because, uh, boy, Alford dogged Edelman the whole game. He, he gave up a couple catches that were on extended plays, actually, where Edelman's so smart he knows to go opposite where you are once Tommy was moving in the pocket. Um, and, and, but but what, what Alford was able to do was track Edelman down and make the tackle. Um, he, Edelman was caught five balls on 13 targets, most of which were broken up or deterred by Alford and not too many corners in the NFL have been able to have that kind of success against Julian Edelman, particularly in big games because of the way the Patriots play him. He, he plays opposite leverage. It's really tough to defend. If you leverage him inside, he goes outside. If you leverage him outside, he goes inside. And Tom Brady's the best quarterback ever of hitting you off of le- opposite leverage ever. So uh, what, what's exciting to me is the, the, having a guy like Alford there who can um, play both inside, outside. And they say he's been just fantastic when he's been healthy in, 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 in training camp. So I'm really pulling for him. I, the fact that he said I owe it to the Cardinals to come back on a veteran uh, salary that meant means a lot it just speaks to his desire to make things right with the cardinals and i we're everyone's hoping year three is a charm and then darkies denard is good insurance yep and i could even see blake i don't know i could see them keeping all six. Oh, totally um you know i, I mean so and and maybe that means letting go of one of the safeties because i think they're going to keep at least five of those safeties. I mean, safety position is, is loaded. It's the most loaded safety position we've had in, in quite some time. I mean, we've got one of the best tandems going in the NFL right now with Buddha and Jalen. And then adding uh, Banjo played really well a free safety when he went in there. Deontay Thompson is an emerging player who's who improved greatly from year one to year two. And then you've got this James Wiggins. When you watch his tape at Cincinnati pre his ACL, oh my God, this kid is a baller. And last year he even said it, the ACL held him back a little bit as he was getting back into, you know, um, feeling confident about it. And towards the end of the year, I mean, he was looking back like he was fully back from the ACL. So, and then you have Charles Washington, who's, arguably one of the top three gunners in the NFL on special teams. So, and then you have Sean Williams. They picked up who, if, 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 if Vance does what I think he's going to do and plays a, plays a, 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 a steady diet of three safety looks, uh, Sean Williams could factor into that because he's, he's tough uh, in the box. So you got all this versatility in the secondary now, Blake, it's fantastic. 
So to answer your question, go back to, should we add another piece there? If the right situation presents itself, of course they would, but I, I like what they have right now. Yeah, if you told me that the Cardinals were looking to go for it all and were able to make a trade for Gilmore, uh, right now, obviously, the compensation could not include a fourth-round pick because the Arizona Cardinals do not have one. You're probably not going to be able to add a player of his caliber for uh, a round-five pick or later. So you'd be probably looking at, at least at minimum, uh, a round-three pick or being able to look at, you know, hey, we'll give you a you know five next year, but we'll give you up to either a third or a second in the year following I do feel like that that would allow you then to have not just insurance, obviously, with Denard and Alfred being able to be kept. Um, you'd be able to then have Gilmore and Butler being your guys on the outside. It looked very Patriots-esque as far as you know, back in the day for what they were running against the Seahawks, I believe, in that 2014 Super Bowl. Uh, you're talking then about at least a very, very, like, Essentially, the idea of being a shutdown of a defense is possible with all those stars. I do feel like that that's not going to be the move to make until they can see what Arizona has in store. And I've said that with all of that cap room that I believe that there's either going to be some sort of extension or move made that Arizona is prepping for. Um, we'll see where that comes around. It wouldn't be something I would object to. I just think the timing, it seems like if you're going to be giving up future assets for next year, You'd be doing it in a kind of mid-season, such as at the trade deadline sort of trade. Like Cardinals start off with a, you know, five and one record. They're in, you know, first place in their division. Suddenly you've got Super Bowl hopes. You know, the one weakness you have is you're rotating, you know, Alfred and Denard on your other outside uh, corner. Murphy's been still manning most of the slot and taking guys away there. You shift him outside, and suddenly the slot corner. Then you got Buddha, who's playing inside of the slots and you're like all right now we got Jalen Thompson let's get the best offense that we can and try to really make this a um, Super Bowl winning team that would seem to be the time frame I think that you'd make a move at corner but it will continue uh, with these discussions as long as DeAndre Hopkins is you know putting things out into the ether with uh, tweeting about Stefan Gilmore on his Instagram and having Gilmore share it uh, he's been kind of a de facto a recruiter for the Arizona Cardinals in that regard so it was interesting what you said about Marco Wilson uh, before I move on wanted to just mention that looking at his tape and other stuff I had him graded as a potential long-term convert to safety given his foot speed the athleticism his zone coverage his ability to play off man is always where he lined up at florida and the fact that he was such a strong tackler what the cardinals don't have right now essentially i think they're still lacking that middle of the field type of playmaker who can be able to go in a hunt get the ball or even close in on tacklers they had buddha baker playing a lot of that last year but the defense i think improved once buddha was able to move into more of his natural box role to be able to you know make plays whether it's rushing or blitzing or being able to drop back into places of coverage. I would be curious to see if that ends up being a long-term potential transition for Wilson, if things end up being different at corner, or if they're just looking for a spot to line him up. But Williams is the guy who, that may be your Buddha insurance policy if he can return to pre-ACL form uh, as well. Um, anything else to say on the defense before we shift over to the offensive side of the ball, Walter? Because I, I think we've pretty much dissected this defense as good as we can, and I think that they have a chance to be better than last year's defense was, and that was an already marked improvement from Vance Joseph's unit. Yeah, just one quick thought to finish this off. is that Buda played weak, safe, free, weak, weak free safety. More as a as uh, as a safeguard 
in defending the run. Um, you notice he bailed out Chandler Jones all those times, and Chandler felt he could basically do whatever he wanted because he had, Buddha had his back, and Buddha did. Totally agree. Um, right. So, and the Cardinals, as we know, have had, and I, I'm hoping this will change this year, have had real difficulty containing quarterbacks and running backs uh, around the ends. Um, and Buddha, thank God, saved a lot of chunk yard plays and potential touchdowns by being the savior. So when he, he's not a traditional, that's why he's not getting the love from PFF and rankings and stuff. What he is, is he's a weak, clean, quicker picker up or clean up safety who storms the alleys and makes plays on bro on, on running plays that have broken down or they've gotten past the, the front seven. That's what his strength is in that role. And in base, it makes sense to sort of keep him in that role uh, at times. But uh, don't sleep on James Wiggins taking over that center field position. Um, uh, maybe not this year. And, of course, Deontay Thompson was an All-American free safety at, at Alabama who's starting to come. He's, he's a good nickel, nickel um, cover two safety. Already, he's got upside, and Chris Banjo was getting his hands on balls. Um, you know, no one was getting to the ball better at the free safety spot in, on passing downs. You know, too bad that great interception he had um, was called back in one of those games. I don't know if you call that, where he, he came, came across um, his receiver's face and made a great catch way downfield. Uh, unfortunately, I think Pat Peterson was flagged for holding on the play or score someone. Um, and then sort of the, so the play came back, but, and he's, and Banjo has made interceptions too, um, before. So that was the depth there is exciting. And, um, I like the pieces in place. The thing with Gilmore though, just one more caveat is like Jones, he's coming off injury. Um, and uh, and he's still rehabbing right now. So, I mean, even though he's not in camp um, with the Patriots because of the same situation, you don't want to further get injury without guaranteed money. Um, he's, you know, uh, he's got the injury situation. Absolutely, yeah. Let's shift over to talking about the offensive side of the ball. Uh, I think that we know the Cardinals have bet a lot on defense. The offensive additions that they had this offseason, there's, uh, again, continuing with the trend of adding proven veteran Pro Bowl talent players um, to the mix. You're talking obviously about signing A.J. Green in the offseason, um, adding in the likes of Brian Winters at guard, and the kind of cornerstone piece of the offense and Kime being able to trade a 2021 third-round pick for Raiders All-Pro center Rodney Hudson, who at 32 and is a big boy. He's a guy who has been incredibly durable, incredibly productive, and this is one of those moves that I think a lot of Cardinals fans were not expecting up front. It was almost one of those cases where in some cases, like I even said, it almost felt like Rodney Hudson and John Gruden having a falling out kind of bailed out the Cardinals from not having to necessarily um, 
up the ante in the Corey Lindsley market uh, or look at, you know, taking Creed Humphrey with a very high draft pick just to simply upgrade their center position from Evan Bain. A lot of people looked at and wondered if the Cardinals were going to sign at least a draft a guard. I looked at the tape and it was pretty obvious that the strength to man the position that Mason Cole had was just not up to par to be able to deal with um, some of these penetrating guys you'd get in the division, you're talking about your Puna Fords, you're talking especially about your, you know, up front with some of these uh, San Francisco defensive linemen in that 4-3 uh, scheme who are going to get one-on-one -on -one matchups with Nick Bosa on the outside. And obviously Aaron Donald uh, may be the best player in the NFL right now, manning the interior for the Los Angeles Rams. Uh, that was one thing that I noticed, at least, was Kyler Murray did not get hurt outside of the pocket in his second year. Um, the first year, there was obviously the Seahawks game where he ends up getting kind of pushed a little bit out of bounds while uh, I believe it was a Seahawks player. Uh, and kind of hurting his ankle a bit, continues and plays the next week. This year, the injuries that he took were ones that were in the pocket, and it was notable that it was from the interior where he took on his shoulder injury and also that end of the game, uh, I should say, not quite season ending, but uh, pulled him from the game against the St. Louis Rams uh, right up the middle, at least in the pocket. That made me think that the Cardinals looking at their quarterback and wanting to protect their investment, most quarterbacks at least, who are runners or scramblers, um, either learn how to slide and how to take care of their body, or they end up going the RG3 route and just end up being able to take a whole bunch of hits. And then when that in-the-pocket move does come, uh, that's when a lot of times you'll see a further injury. Rodney Hudson, I think, and bringing back the likes of uh, Kelvin Beecham, this Cardinals team is essentially going to be having for the first time since that 2015 season an all-veteran uh, potentially, assuming that Brian Winters or even Justin Murray hold off Josh Jones, all veteran offensive line. You're having at least 30-year-old players at every position except for your probably best player on the O-line last year in DJ Humphreys. Uh, what are your thoughts when it comes to the line this year? How will that affect the Cardinals' run game and even boosting the passing game, which notably the Cardinals saw improvements with DeAndre Hopkins on the outside, but it really struggled overall down the stretch and in the end when the Cardinals couldn't run or pass the ball that offense at least just looked broken in the last two games of the year against the Niners and the Rams yep and uh you summarized it really well about the you know getting hurt on the pass rush up the middle uh if I I would love to coach this offense because I'd change the whole thing I I, I would wipe it all out and change it I would go to a Sean McVay I mean, imagine Kyler Murray with Sean McVay, and it'd be unstoppable, absolutely unstoppable. Hmm. And I don't understand and don't understand at all why you have the most gifted feet in a quarterback in the NFL and you're relegating him most of the games to the back of a pocket. I don't get it. I, in, a, in this day and age in football plus with Kyler's limitations uh, size-wise at the back of a pocket you have to block up front in certain ways to create pass clear passing lanes for him which is hard to do uh, you've got to influence your you know your tackle one way and try to ride him and and open up a lane and sometimes that's really hard to do and sometimes they slip off you and get to the quarterback sooner than you were hoping for. Um, so 
but and I've just been hoping and praying that finally we see uh, the Cardinals take advantage of this superior athleticism that, that Kyler Murray has. And when you can run Murray on play action bootlegs and waggles and uh, sprint outs, what you're doing is you're creating immediate run pass options. Because if, if there's nobody's, if everybody's covered downfield, think of the pressure that puts on the defense. Now someone's got to leave coverage to come get Kyler, or you're just going to let him run off a chunk yard play, right? So, and Kyler getting around the edge, edges in the NFL is a given. I mean, his inside out move, nobody can stop him. Um, they haven't been able to yet. Uh, so, but then it opens up the field and the vision for Murray which he hasn't proven yet mm-hmm. um, consistently enough that you know he can make, can make great connections downfield when moving on the run which there's no reason why he can't he just needs to do it more and it needs to be more incorporated in the offense but what I think it's going to happen is and I think this might frustrate a lot of Cardinals fans is, is that you know they've gotten They've gotten more physical up front, which is great. I mean, Brian Winters is a run-first guard like Sweezy. Um, he struggled in pass protection. But he's got the chemistry of Kelvin Benjamin, and he's got the the, ver- the veteran chops that Sean Kugler seems to like. And, and maybe Kugler uh, gets Winters playing better in pass pro. Because I think uh, he's Winters probably has the edge going into campus who's going to start at right guard uh just with then justin murray and josh jones become swing tackles and then murray's also a swing guard i'm not sure i mean i don't get the josh jones to guard move and i'm not even buying it i think that you know they're they will groom jones to play both tackle spots continue to i mean that uh Beach is not getting any younger, so eventually we're going to need a right tackle. And then, you know, Humphreys is is now, um, you know, his deal's up pretty soon. So um, when we don't know what will happen with that. Hopefully they'll re-sign him or extend him or whatever. But, um, but yeah, I, I think that the offense offensive line can be a strength, but I think that now that Sean Coogler has been promoted to running game coordinator, there'll be pressure on to run a power running game. And I think it's mostly going to be with James Conner because he's a power back and they're going to use Chase as the, um, you know, all purpose back in passing sets. So I think it's going to be a tale of two styles. Um, And I'm not sure in the NFL, you can do both effectively. Um, But, one thing about the power running game is it sets up play action pretty well. And I'd like to see Kyler over center more this year. I'm just not sure Kyler wants to see Kyler over center very much. Um, I, and I think it's, it's largely perhaps due to Kyler's preferences. Like Kyler loves playing in the back of the pocket and he feels like he can escape in a variety of different ways. But as we've seen, he has a bad habit of, of um, trying to escape the back ends on spin moves and then, you know, 
has not only been sacked for big losses, but has lost the ball a couple of times in those situations, been costly turnovers. Um, so, but here's the other thing is now the Cardinals also have uh, some speed to work with Rondell Moore. I mean, guys is, is, has jet speed Rico Gafford. I mean, ran by one scouts clock a 4.18 at his pro day at Wyoming. Um, and then there's tape of him. He's scoring against the Cardinals in a preseason game, just blowing away downfield from Mike Glennon of all people in the Raiders. <laughs> uh, might've been Mike Glennon's best throw in Glendale ever. <laughs> so, and then uh, also scoring against the, uh, the, the Titans of all people on a beautiful touchdown from Derek Carr uh, in his, one of his Raiders games. I was amazed that the Raiders let him go because, well, well, they, they signed rugs. They, they drafted rugs. So they got a speedy guy in rugs, but, but Gafford is not only could he contribute uh, in the offense as a speed, speed guy, um, along with Isabella, who I think if they use him right and Kyler gets in sync with him can be a tremendous asset with his speed and his home run ability. Um, if you don't underthrow him, uh, plus to go along with, you know, Chase Edmonds, who's got some wheels. Christian Kirk isn't, isn't a slouch either. I mean, they could go speedball this year uh, with with some of the speedy guys. JoJo Ward is a kid out of the slot who's got quicks. Um, so there's 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 some pieces there. Plus, you got this kid Muhammad, the running back. You ever seen that kid run? Oh my God, he is uh, mm-hmm. the kid from Cal. I mean, I, he put on a show in in Glendale a couple preseasons ago. I was like, who is this guy? Oh my God, let's get him suited up in Cardinal Red. Uh, you know, and then Jonathan Ward is a is a guy with some speed. Who reminds me a little when I watch his tape. It reminds me a little of Kendrick, a little faster version of Kenyon Drake. Um, oddly enough, got similar length. Uh, can can bang it between the tackles. Doesn't go down easy on contact, and can has really good ability as a receiver, the way Drake 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 does. Um, so there are all sorts of offensive weapons. I know everyone's talking about trading for Zach Ertz. I wouldn't do that at all. Um, largely because when I watched Ertz last year, um, he just looks like he's broken down physically. He doesn't look like the same player uh, to me at all. Um, and I think who, if someone trades for Ertz, they'd be bailing the Eagles out and giving them a, giving them a, a bonus. Um, because I just don't, I mean, I, hopefully for his sake, he can bounce back um, from a couple sort of injury-filled years. Uh, but and like Gronk, maybe because Gronk bounced back. But who knows? But I don't. The reason why, I mean, even if we got Ertz to be eighty percent of what what he used to be, I just don't think that the Cardinals are all that interested in throwing at tight ends. To tell you the truth. I don't think it's really an integral part. I also think that Max Williams is a better receiver than people realize. I think he's been slowed by injury some. Right now, he's back to being healthy. Um, 
And keep an eye on uh, Ross Travis, the converted basketball player who played pretty well for the Jets. Good app. He could take Dan Arnold's role. And Sean Jefferson knows him well because he was uh, coaching him, well, as wide receiver coach, but he was, he was, he knows Ross Travis pretty well. Travis has got six, five and, and real good speed and athleticism. So he's someone who could be sneaky in there, I think. And Carrie Angeline, uh, has some good tape on him. I know that the Cardinals up the ante to get him in uh, as a college free agent. Uh, Bruno, um, Bruno, uh, from, from uh, Cincinnati. Oh my God. I loved watching his tape. Uh, is an H back type tough kid. Who's a blocker. Um, and uh, I think uh, probably will make the practice squad or so. I don't know if he'll make the active roster, although on specials, if he's anything like Daryl Daniels on specials, he could might go past Daniels. Cause this kid's a really good out. These Cincinnati players, by the way, but like, I don't know if you've watched a lot of them. Cincinnati is such a great program now. I mean, I just got my Lindy's college book and they're ranked top 10 again. Uh, and they should be, uh, they're so well coached and they got great players, um, that nobody's ever heard of. And, um, you know, uh, Bruno was sort of an unsung, uh, uh, player for them on offense. He did get a lot of targets because they didn't really have to throw to him much, but, he, if you watched their games, he was made key blocks left and right, key catches at, at right moments, and uh, so I really like that pickup. So from the stand, the tight end standpoint, to me it probably makes sense to pick one up off of waivers when uh, during cuts because there'll be some good tight ends let go, and um, and not give up a draft pick to get one now. Um, what do you think about that? Yeah, I look at, like, if you want to talk about Zach Ertz, like you said, I agree that I wouldn't make a trade for him either. Uh, you'd be taking on a $4 million cap hit, and when you look at his production, the injuries have slowed him, and he produced at a lower rate last year uh, than Dan Arnold did for the Cardinals. So you're talking about the Cardinals weren't willing to pay, you know, two years, $6 million, $3 million a season for Dan Arnold. Why, why would you trade for an older, more broken-down tight end at $4 million at least, knowing that he's just not the same guy that he was? And in that regard, I think he'd be very similar to the Todd Heap situation where you bring him in, it's a big name, you haven't had a tight end at the position since I think it's Freddie, is it Freddie Jones, I think, since they haven't sure. had one. It's just been for so long. I think eventually part of the Oklahoma offense, this is why I think that there was interest that the Cardinals would have had if um, Kyle Pitts hadn't you know, been a top five lock. The Oklahoma offense, what favors Kyler Murray the most, I think, is when they're able to run some multiple personnel looks, be able to have a power run offense, and have a tight end that can catch those big seam passes over the middle who's big and tall, um, to be able to help yes. with some of the height that Kyler has, Good to be point. able to just place it up top. We saw that with Grant Calcaterra being that yes. uh, kind of third part of their offense, despite the fact that it was obviously the Marquise Brown and um, C.D. Lamb show for the majority of his time. The Cardinals, I think at least, may be in a spot now where they finally have enough 
weapons and talent that I don't think they need to go out and get another huge pass-catching tight end. It'd be a similar situation to me where if Max Williams gets injured and suddenly you don't have anyone who's able to block, you've got a team that thinks that they're in it, suddenly ends up being out and starts trying to, you know, let one of their quality veterans go. Um, I really think that this is going to be one of those areas where you're not going to probably fix this issue without having to invest heavily um, and I don't think that I would invest heavily in terms of the what the Patriots have done in paying two guys, Hunter Henry and Johnny Smith, all that money without being able to fundamentally change their entire offense. And for that to happen, you'd probably be either moving on from Cliff Kingsbury first or you'd be having enough influence where Cliff would be handing over play-calling duties and having more of this flexible approach. I agree with you ultimately in terms of where, and this will be something we can break down um, a little bit more of after this, but I think ultimately the Cardinals are in a very big spot with their coach and play caller to identify, is this kind of method going to work? Because in the rushing game, we've seen a lot of times, and this is something I was even told too, teams can often have their run game be coordinated ultimately by the offensive line coach, is the de facto run game coordinator. And Cliff Kingsbury altered and changed his scheme in 2019 with input from some of the O-line and uh, input from uh, Cardinals uh, coach Kugler, Sean Kugler, the offensive line coach. That was where he altered his scheme, put more tight ends on the field, did play action out of that scenario. And for Cliff to be able to, you know, see that as the biggest amount of success last year was in the run game and how ultimately they used Kyler Murray uh, to the point where eventually, you know, the hits, I think at least, came from some of the concepts in the passing game questions there. I really think that you're going to want to take a look at the offense that Cliff Kingsbury wants to run. You need to go ahead and run it, give Cliff the controls, and be able to make sure that you know that this is going to be the guy we're going to ride or die with for the future. And I think that in some cases they've done that. You've seen them move on from Tom Clements, their quarterback coach and passing game coordinator, uh, who I think at least now you're like, all right, so Cliff is now the de facto passing game coordinator. And I think that I wouldn't be looking and evaluating that for the Arizona Cardinals, knowing that you're going to be able to find a guy like a Dan Arnold who can come in, get you some 300 or something yards, who's big and athletic, maybe played wide receiver in college. There's a lot of those guys, I think, who are out there. We all forget how easy it was for them to sign Dan Arnold off of waivers in 2019 to come out of the blue. I don't think that you need a heavy investment unless, like I said, it turns out to be more of that missing piece that you feel toward a championship-style run. Yeah, and there's a guy out there who could play wide receiver still at a high level. His name's Larry Fitzgerald. So, and I don't know if people have noticed this, but Fitz came out of the tunnel with the tight ends every time last year. Uh, I think he was kind of considered part of that group because he was a flex used as a flex uh, Y receiver, um, which sometimes like if you've got a receiving tight end, Arnold played that spot. And so, so would Gronk if he was on the Cardinals or, or, or you know, Ertz or, um, you know, if we had um, Travis Kelsey or someone like that, how they flex those receivers, uh, the tight ends in Kansas City. So, I mean, that would be wonderful for if we can have Fitz back for another year. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting with that. There's still silence on the Fitzgerald scenario. It'd be hard to find a place to plug him in, but I agree with you. You could potentially plug him in as that 
inside slot guy and be able to run, uh, essentially, four wide receiver sets, knowing that you're going to be having, you know, Fitzgerald yeah. there, you could put Edmonds at least potentially. That would be, I think, the best option for him. But, you know, at this stage, we've seen him as a yeah. possession receiver primarily. And that has been a spot with Kyler Murray where Fitzgerald, you know, he's he's been able to get separation with the route running, but it's always these kind of close avenue type of throws or these wide open ones. And I just wonder, at least also with when it comes to Fitz, there's so much at least that we've seen from Fitzgerald when it comes to his play on the field, not making mistakes, being a benefit for the team. And it just felt like there was something at least last year that was – I don't want to say at least broken for that, but it was just the play that Larry, I remember when he caught that ball in the Bills game and then the ball kind of forced it loose and it pops up in the air and is picked off by a Bills player. That was like the most un-Larry-like play that I've seen at least in his time uh, in the NFL outside of him spiking the football at the end of uh, the Niners game with Josh Rosen where the, the pain and the difficulty of that season in particular that players were having to endure and his son wanting to you know go and go to the fair versus seeing his dad play on Sunday just showed how bad the Cardinals were be like hey you can watch you know Larry Fitzgerald play football or you can go to the fair you're like yeah I'm I'm not watching that Cardinals offense yeah that's where I'm be very curious is I believe that there is a role for the team and it would not shock me if there's an open offer saying hey Larry here's what we've got offered for you We'll have it up through training camp for you. If you decide you want to come back, you don't have to worry about the offseason and OTAs for each of those different scenarios. Um, that wouldn't shock me, I've said, but it also wouldn't shock me either if this just turns into a spot where Larry wants to be able to do right by his legacy. He wants to you know, finish strong, finish with the team that drafted him. He's been such a loyal player over the years. But there's just been a difference on what he feels that he's worth as far as with compensation, leadership, his legacy, and what the Arizona Cardinals are willing to pay. And it may be that that ends up being the unspoken uh, sort of behind-the-scenes type of avenue of where it just ends up being a simple aspect of it saying, hey, I'll come back and play for this much, and the Cardinals saying, we'll let you back in for this much, and kind of having to let bygones be bygones at some point, I think may be what Larry either has to accept that or be able to look at and say, all right, like, you know, do I really want to chase a ring elsewhere with a team like the Bucks or return to my hometown team of Minnesota, at least, who has two strong wide receivers? I really feel like ultimately a lot of people felt like that. He kind of is in a spot where I don't think that he wants to or is ready to retire, but is having to look at the saying, if I am going to be hanging it up, there's no Brett Favre involved. There's no T.O. going to be trying to make a comeback. This would be it once and for all, and I think that he's having to weigh that option very heavily before making – a decision one way or the other. Sure. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I was a tough year for Larry. And as I was writing, um, you know, one more game, Larry, my, my letter to him and hopefully this, um, you know, my plea to him is that it just feels really weird if his career ended on that season. It's just so anticlimactic and a down year for, for Fitz, you know, things just never really quite clicked for him last year when he was on the field and then he had COVID, you know, kind of at odds with everything last year. I knew it was going to be a transition for him. I think most people probably did knowing that for the first time in 17 years, he was not, wide receiver one and the man and the top target in 
in the in the offense, and that's an adjustment for any wide receiver who's so used to, you know, being the being the the guy, the man, the you know the the bell cow, and you know that in itself is such a tough adjustment, and and um, you know as time wore on, it's getting more and more obvious that you had number one option was Hopkins. Number two options was, was Edmonds. Number three option was even Dan Arnold, uh, Kirk, Christian Kirk. And then Dan Arnold was getting more snaps or more targets than Fitz. So suddenly Fitz was like fifth fiddle. And, you know, you go from first fiddle to fifth fiddle emotionally, that's going to be tough. It's particularly at his age and, and hey, you know he's still chasing Jerry Rice. I mean, it's, it's still possibilities. I mean, it, you know, um, he knows he's he's got an opportunity to narrow that gap and uh, to still peck away at those records. So, and his desire to win. So, I mean, I think he handled it gracefully um, as well as he could. But I think inside, I'm sure he was hugely frustrated. Yeah, absolutely. For me, I'll at least remember this as the season where despite the, you know, statistics looking a bit more like closer to what Dan Arnold had as far as, you know, he got his targets. He just didn't get to be a featured player in their offense as much this year. Uh, You think that you always remember a couple of things. One will be Fitzgerald, you know, running to the line with being able to get the ball back to set up that game-tying field goal. Right. Just being able to have that awareness, the leadership aspect there. And then the second for me is the lasting memory that I'll get to see of Fitz, that if I get to remember with the 2020 season, I'm sad that it's not in University of Phoenix Stadium being able to, you know, score a touchdown with the crowd chanting, but we'll be able to look back at least and see that amazing catch he made at the end of the Eagles game where he basically turned back against his body and made this incredible catch where it's like, did, did he actually catch that? To know, know the fact right? that he's able to go out still being capable of those versus being able right. to see him, you know, you're showing a swing pass, he runs there, and then he fumbles the ball as he gets hit hard for that one. Slowly up. You don't want to ever see your legends go out with a whimper, and I do feel like that he'll be able to at least look him and say, hey, I didn't get to go out with a bang, but I got to go out while I was still able to make those plays, still able to get it done. And I think that's where for athletes, it's always tough because every athlete seems to say, "I'll." Uh, I remember even... Fitz saying, yeah, I'll be retired before you know, I won't have a chance of catching Jerry Rice's record. And he played for probably two or three years beyond, I think, what anyone expected him to for the most part. So um, speaking of at least with the receivers for all that and Larry, I did want to ask at least about with the rest of the wide receiver core, maybe some of this does or doesn't include Fitzgerald. We'll have to find out over time. What are some of your thoughts on the rest of the Cardinals receivers with all they've added in the offseason, particularly as they seem like they're going to rely a lot on A.J. Green. And if Fitzgerald comes back, that would be an interesting type of you know, dynamic of having all sure. those guys at least on the field. A.J. Green looks primed and ready to have a comeback season. Um, and I think he found a good, really good spot for him. I mean, being opposite DeAndre Hopkins and knowing now that you know, he's going to be seeing a lot of single coverage. Uh, it's very attractive to him. And he's still one of the best 50-50 ball guys ever. Um, so, and, you know, the the Titans got Julio Jones, but 
you know, AJ Green up until two years ago was on a par with or very close, you know, numbers wise to Julio Jones. I mean, multiple um, consistent stacked thousand yard seasons with, and he has more career TDs than right. Jones. I think 60 to 54, um, which is curious, you know, I mean, and, and green has always been that way. He's always had a nose for the end zone. So, uh, yeah, I, I love the signing. I just like, wow, AJ green, really? And then, you know, I knew he was coming off some tough, couple tough seasons. So, like with the Earth deal, I wondered, you know, is he is he still AJ Green? And indications are, and I saw him running around in in minicamp. He looks good, uh, you know. And, I, and hearing him talk and about his outlooks for this season is encouraging. So yeah, I like that. And of course, Rondale Moore brings a dimension that's just, I mean, of of imagine Rondale Moore on the mesh plays. Oh my god. I mean I I I would put Isabella and and uh Rondell Moore opposite each other in the slots and run them on meshes. What team is gonna be able to cover both of them inside? Nobody can. I mean, think about that. I mean and 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 Isabella's great at that play. In fact he was wide open in the Seahawks game at Seattle, unfortunately. Kyler threw it late, but I mean, you run these guys on, on mesh play crossers. I mean, I don't know how you cover that. You have to zone it and then hope to get lucky. Um, and boy, oh boy. I mean, so the Cardinals have that dimension. Now they got speed going for for you there. The only guy I'm not, really not sure about what to think about still is Christian Kirk in that I thought he'd be a good slot receiver in the NFL and, Hasn't shined to the role. Um, now you got more and Isabella in the slot. I I don't know where Kirk fits in. Maybe he stays on the outside. It's like a rotating in for Green, or or do, do they kick him inside at times? So probably move him around a little bit, move him in motion and stuff. Uh, but uh, you know, this would be a big year for him because he heads into year four of his contract. So you know. Um, but, uh, yeah, and also Rico Gafford. Wait till Cardinal fans see this kid. He's lightning in a bottle. Um, to have three speedy guys in, in, in uh, Moore and Isabella and Gafford, that's pretty exciting. Yeah, I was going to say, I, um, we're also forgetting, you know, like JoJo Ward is an outside potential deep threat. Last year knew that he was stashed on yeah. the practice squad. There's a speed options that the Cardinals have that I think at least is – a bigger positive than we're at least had in quite a bit of time. So the good news, at least with the Cardinals for this year, is I don't think there's any receiver excuses you can talk about versus where last year, you know, the Cardinals, you looked at Christian Kirk was kind of, they would live and die with their offense based on him getting one-on-one coverage, being able to have a deep ball that got enough separation where Kyler could hit him on some of these design plays. You think of the, the Cowboys game where, they kind of schemed him open, knowing that the safety was going to bite on the play action to get him free for that 80-yard touchdown. But as far as far as for with moving into the slot and everything, like with with AJ Green, 
if you can get at least one of those Fitzgerald type seasons from age 32 to age, say like 36 before this 37 year, where clearly his stats kind of took a dip. If you can get one of those 800 yard type of seasons where you say, Hey, he's lost a step. He's not the same deep threat. Maybe you have to do a little bit more as far as, you know, scheming him in the end zone. He's still a big body and lengthy enough, I think, to be able to um, utilize the route running and hands to be able to separate. And they're going to function him as an outside guy. So that's going to be something I think that will be interesting to watch is with Cliff. And um, the Rondell Moore, as far as the player is concerned, he's going to be getting all sorts of uh, hopefully jet sweep action. But it seems like they're looking at him, at least in year one, they're not seeing him as a starter are not seeing him as a guy who's probably going to have, you know, the a majority of the different snaps. I think that they're going to be content to look at this 11 personnel with Kirk, at least, with AJ, with Hopkins, obviously, on the other side, and then work more in and be able to kind of use him and Isabella as maybe not necessarily gadget players. But like you said, the, the biggest reason as far as with stopping the mesh I could see is Andy's had hands that when he takes catches the ball and keeps it close to his body, if you hit him hard, you can kind of sometimes jar it loose. We saw that in one of the preseasons. If he's been working on that, that would be the biggest plus to his game would be being able to have those catches um, away from his body. Because like you said, on the speed and that mesh point, running those two guys on the inside and then having, you know, hey, we're going to have our speed lineup in here. We got Hopkins on the left. We're going to line up um, both of those two guys in the slot. And then you got Christian Kirk on the other end. You could run quite a few plays that way with the four verticals or other aspects that I think would be a positive. And Moore himself is a guy who, with the way that Cliff's offense is set up, who can break a tackle and run. They didn't have a guy last year capable of breaking tackles. We've seen how Kirk... Really, that's just it's not his game. He's not a guy who you just kind of toss it to on a bubble screen. He breaks a tackle and is gone. He's been much more of the guy who you want to get him more uh, working on downfield routes, doing in the intermediate, or being able to just utilize that deep threat foot ability, which he's not a 4-3 speed guy, but he can still at least be able to turn on the Jets and score some of those long touchdowns. I want to go back at least real quick to talk about, as we kind of wrap up for some of that today, not just, we'll finish obviously talking about Kyler, but I wanted to talk a bit about what you mentioned about changing the offense around because I've seen other people on some of the national stage too talk about that. I believe the Locked on NFL Draft podcast went over some of the areas and uh, I believe the, if I remember correctly at least, it was, I have to look at I know Hayden Winks at least is one of the people who broke it down, but the Cliff Kingsbury Cardinals offense, if you look at where they said they diagnosed it and said, I, I think that, the issue is not necessarily that it's bad, but it's more of the combination that they believed of having all these different pieces that Cliff brought together, they said was more of the issue. And here, here's what I'm talking about. They said, all right, you've got this no huddle, hurry up offense that wants to try to spread teams out. You're going to be not utilizing a lot of pre-snap motion because you're hurrying up to the line and you want to make quick reads for the quarterback uh, because the way that you'll beat the blitz is either tossing the ball to guys on the outside so that if the defenses try to blitz you up, oh, all of a sudden you just toss a screen, run, a wide receiver screen to a guy and he's gone after breaking a tackle because everyone's up the middle or blitzing or trying to stop the run. And you have a lot of RPOs without a lot of slant routes that you're able to see slants over the middle. And with this rest of the spread personnel, like you're really having 
most of the guys stay on their sides all of it. And they looked at all these cases and said, you probably could do all of these things, at least or might be good individually. But when you put them together, if a team is able to get pressure with four or even five guys, and you're able to disguise some of these blitz looks or disguise some of whether it's man or zone and you're, you know, the only way you can diagnose, hey, is it man or zone? All right, let me boot Chase Edmonds down over here to the slot, see if a guy follows him. If a team is just seeing that and disguising and calling that, you're suddenly at a disadvantage if teams are able to get pressure on Kyler because they could then rush four, drop seven, still get pressure, and then Murray would have to scramble or try to make a play with his legs. And I think that was what the Cardinals offense we saw early in the season. Teams did not have an answer for his legs, and they essentially played back, played coverage. That allowed Kyler to make up a lot of room on the ground by taking advantage of the fact that you know, defenders just weren't there. Later in the season, I do think at least where they made more adjustments to where Kyler wasn't running, suddenly he had to learn either to throw on the move or to be able to diagnose better what the defenses were. And I think Cliff, I think that you're right. I think Cliff and that offensive type made it a lot tougher on his quarterback than it needed to be. You talked about the Rams offense, which functions on play action from under center, bootlegs that are basically able to utilize, you know, the, that play action game, be able to get easy throws and completions. They use a lot of pre-snap motion in being able to have with their RPO looks, they use a lot of those type of slanting over the middle routes, at least to be able to burn teams on the blitz by just hitting those guys quick with those slants. I think, it, and the last thing I want to say at least was with adjusting the protections that we've seen, Cliff's offense doesn't allow for a lot of protections to be adjusted because of that quick hurry up, snap, get to the line type of area. I can see in how on paper you want it to work where the Cardinals are essentially a high passing volume offense that takes a few design shots and is able to run a ton of plays that wears teams down by the end of the game. I think in actuality, we've seen a lot more three and outs and NFL teams have solutions for that offense. And like you said, I think that Kyler's had some of his best games when he's been able to line up under center, utilizing that play action, being able to get in the red zone. And honestly, we saw that a lot against the Giants. And with you, I've got questions about with Cliff Kingsbury, if he's going to be able to make those adjustments to his offense, because like you said, I would almost look at that and say we may have to scrap the whole thing to get the best out of Kyler and be able to get the best out of right. the rest of this team in general according to their skill set. Well, I'll make a quick comment to this, and then I have to sign off. Uh, I have a, a dinner guest coming any minute now, <laughs> which uh, here in Massachusetts is now 520, for those of you keeping count. <laughs> But my, I loved what you said about all that, and because to me, actually now, who is Kyler over center with? Rodney Hudson. I mean, oh my God. I mean, I also would anticipate that Kyler is a quarterback sneak this year with Rodney Hudson in the pivot. I mean, he should be able to do that. Um, these. Third and fourth and inches have got to, they got to have a better answer for all that. And, and, um, but I think like the expression goes, a moving target is harder to hit. I think the more you can put Kyler in motion with giving him an opportunity to, uh, you know, pass options, the more 
more dynamic defense is good. I think you you hit on Walter. Yeah. Hey, well, thank you so much for joining, Walter. Super excited to be able to have you on. Could you, real quick, before you head off, just plug yourself where you can find your work as well as your Twitter account for those who want to follow you? Oh, sure. Thanks. Uh, at WBJ Mitch on Twitter and, of course, at revengeofthebirds.com. Blake, Johnny, Seth Cox, our captain, and the whole staff, uh, Andy Kwong, uh, give us a give us a look over there and chime in on the comments. We always love to hear what you have to say. Yeah, we just added Damian Parson as well. Super great stuff that we had. We were able to get on a uh, StreamYard stream with him, at least some awesome stuff. Should be dropping that podcast soon if you guys haven't caught up on all of that as well. Thank you guys for listening in. As always, this has been the Revenge of the Birds podcast. Thank you.